Good morning. Today is Tuesday, November 17th, 2020. There's a cliche that the most common problems in marriage relate to money, sex, and in-laws. It's certainly been my experience working with couples over many, many years that that is an accurate list. And in my experience working with couples, I would give first place to money. Questions, problems over money, earning it, but much more importantly, spending it, uh, the decision-making process is something that causes a lot of conflict for couples. And not only at the beginning of marriage, but in the middle and as it goes along. <clears throat> I think part of the reason is because there is great variation in how families manage and make decisions about money, but often it goes not verbalized, unverbalized. And therefore, the way you grow up, you just assume that's what all families do. But since it's not verbalized, it is very easy to come into a situation where now you're connected to another person who grew up in a different family and also has an understanding of monetary issues that uh, they never even thought there might be a difference in other families about, again, because it's not so well-verbalized. Whatever the reason, uh, it certainly is true. For that reason, our sages give us detailed advice for finances in marriage, and we ignore that advice at our own peril. It's very, very good advice. And a big part of the genius of the way our sages set this up is that there is flexibility. There exists a range of options in how a couple will manage their finances from one extreme of joining everything and commingling everything to maintaining separate uh, finances, separate accounts. And there is no right or wrong. Each couple has the right to decide which variation they want. And again, the Talmud, the Mishnah and the Talmud has very explicit guidance about how to set it up, uh, how to balance those things. And also, it's extremely important to realize that that arrangement can change. During the life of a family, <clears throat> situation changes, jobs change, um, family dynamics change, and therefore the couple has got to be willing not only to come to an arrange arrangement initially, but to be able to revisit it in a constructive way and alter the arrangement as it becomes appropriate during the life of that uh, family. So there is a halakhic principle that underlies this entire subject, which finds itself expressed in our Parsha in a very interesting way. And that's what I'd like to share with you this morning very briefly. So, our Parsha, the Parsha of Toldos, <clears throat> has as its central narrative this uh, um, uh, episode of the deception of Yitzchak 
to arrange that he should give the blessing to Yaakov, the younger son, instead of Esau, the older son. And the deception is initiated by and uh, um, largely carried out by Rivka, Yaakov's mother, Yitzchak's wife, and Yaakov actually does the deception, but at the urging and with the advice of his mother. <clears throat> so how did it actually work physically, logistically? So the Torah says as follows. Rivka says to Yaakov, I want you to do what I'm telling you. And the subtext is, I understand that it may not be clear why I'm asking you to do it this way. And I understand that this goes against your uh, character to be deceitful, but I am telling you, this is what you need to do. I'm taking responsibility for this plan. And she says as follows, Go to our flock of sheep, or goats actually, and take for me from there, from the flock, two goats, and she's going to use the meat from the goats to serve to Yitzchak so that Yaakov can pretend that he went hunting to prepare this meal for his father as, ya as Yitzchak had instructed Esau. And she's going to use the skin of the animal to cover Yaakov's arms so that it will more closely resemble the hairy arms of Esau. So when, in fact, Yitzchak says to his son, let me feel your arms, and he feels the arms, and it feels like the arms of Esau, but that's because Rivka had anticipated this and used these goat skins to make Yaakov's, I guess, more uh, smooth or fair skin appear like Esau's. Okay. A curious word that does not appear to be necessary in the words that I read to you. Lech ne'eletzon, go to the flock, Rivka says to Yaakov, v'kach misham, and take from there two goats, and that's what I'm going to use for this deception. But that's not what the Pusik says. The Pusik has an extra word, v'kach li misham. Now, the simple translation of that extra word, li, would be, take for me two goats. Meaning, Yaakov, Rivka says to Yaakov, go to the flock and take two goats and bring them to me, and I will use them to help you create this deception. Okay, that's a simple way to read it. But another way to read it, which is picked up by the Midrash, is, kach v'kach li misham, take mine from there. In other words, Rivka is telling Yaakov, take my goats. What does that mean? So Rashi points this out. Rashi quotes the Medrash, Mishalihem. Rivka is saying to Yaakov, make sure that you take the goats that belong to me, my goats. Meaning, don't take my, my husband's goats, Yitzchak's goats, they belong to him, but uh, Yitzchak and Rivka had an arrangement in their marriage that a certain number of the goats belonged to 
Yitzchak, and a certain number of the goats belonged to Rivka, and they could each do with them as they pleased. So Rivka specified to her son Yaakov, make sure you take my goats, don't take his goats. Notwithstanding the fact that she's using them for a deception, but you see something amazing, she would not have used those goats if they did not belong to her. In other words, when something is owned jointly, it is necessary for a married couple to agree on the expenditure. And neither should make a major expenditure or major financial decision without the agreement of the other. And this is a halacha, a law in Jewish family law that is derived from many sources, but one of them is this verse, because you see the Rivka would not have taken them if they would have been co-joined, co-owned, without informing Yitzchak. And of course, she couldn't inform Yitzchak because the whole point is she was uh, deceiving him. There is a custom in parts of the Jewish world at a Jewish wedding to execute a document called Tenayim. Tenayim means conditions. And it is a document that says uh, that this couple is engaged to be married, they promise to marry each other, they promise to do certain things for each other in terms of how they will set up their household, and they uh, uh, certify that they have fulfilled all of their obligations to each other, <clears throat> and the marriage can take place in the right time. Originally, the custom was this was an engagement document. This would be done at the, at the onset. When the couple got engaged, this would be a document that says, we plan to marry each other and to set up our home in this way. In, in some communities, it became the custom to do it at the wedding right before the chuppah. Of course, you could ask yourself, well, if you're already at the wedding and uh, the bride is in a wedding dress and the caterer is there and the chuppah is set up, why do you have to make an agreement to actually go ahead and get married? I mean, it's pretty clear that it's about to happen in a couple of minutes. So um, it is not a universal custom. It happens not to be my personal custom to do it, although I'm happy to do it uh, when I officiate if couples want it. It has grown in popularity over the years. I think it's because this custom also co comes with a photo op, because this is the moment in the ceremony where the two mothers break a plate. So the idea of breaking a plate is th the two mothers are taking a piece of china, which if you break it and you try to glue it back together, you will always see the crack to say that just as breaking the plate is permanent, it can never be uh, uh, fixed as if it was new, so too this agreement is permanent and will stand and they will get married in a couple of minutes. Okay, I, I, personally I think that 
a lot of people remember that photo op part of it. Uh, I've actually had several weddings where I've said to the couple, listen, uh, if you don't want to actually do the document, but you want the photo op, so that's fine. Let the two mothers stand together and break a plate and you take a photo and you have it. Okay. <clears throat> Even though it is not my custom to execute this document at a wedding, however, there is a, a line in it that is very, very important. And even when uh, this couple is not executing this document, I always make it a point to say this to the couple, to teach them this lesson as a basis for a good marriage. And the line in the document is as follows. Va'al yavrihu, va'al yalimu, lo zemizo, v'lo shum havrachas maman ba'olam. That the bride and the groom agree to each other that neither of them will hide any assets or make any major decisions about assets without the assent of the other. Rather, they will make decisions about major financial issues in their marriage equally between the two of them. With peace and with harmony. In the way of those who follow the Torah and respect God to uh, make these decisions together in a peaceful manner. So that is really a bedrock of uh, a good marriage practice. And even if you're not signing this particular document, that clause is something to keep in mind. And again, this passage in our Parsha is one of the sources of how careful husbands and wives need to be. Many, many years ago, a man came to me and he said to me that he had bought a new home. So I said to them, oh, it's wonderful, mazel tov. Is your wife looking forward to the move? And he said to me, I haven't told her yet. You're the first one I'm telling. So um, as I predicted to him, within a week, both of them were in, were in my office contemplating divorce. And um, that's not the way to go about uh, buying a new house. Um, and in fact, our sages give us very clear practical guidance on how to make decisions about what to share and how to make sure that we're living up to this. Uh, the concept of shalom bias, of harmony within the home, which is the standard that Jewish couples should try to reach for. So the Talmud gives very clear practical advice on how to achieve that. Now, the Talmud is, in this passage, addressing men, so it is the wording of husbands towards wives, but the same applies of wives towards husbands. But the words of the Talmud are, Ohev is ishtokugufo, you should, to a husband, you should love your wife the same way you love yourself. Umachabda yoser migufo, and you should show greater honor to her than you show to yourself. And then the same thing for a wife, 
to love your husband like yourself and to show greater honor to him than you show to yourself. What does it mean to show greater honor to someone than you show to yourself? Well, it's very, very practical. It means as follows. Um, what decision would you want to be informed of if your partner were to make it? What decision would you want to have input in before it was made. And if this question is in that category, then that means by definition to live up to the standard of Shalom bias, you should be discussing it with your partner before you make that decision. It's a very, very simple calculation. Doesn't mean we always follow it, but it's very simple in how to figure it out. If you would want to be included in the discussion, that means you're obligated to include the other person in the discussion. And the practical application of that is this line in the Tanoim, Ayavrihu Vayalimu. Don't make any major financial decisions without the input of the other person. Now, of course, all of this begs the question and sets the stage for how could Rivka be so careful about not making a financial decision with two goats that that to make sure that they belong to her and not to her husband, but still go on to use those goats for this elaborate deception of her husband. So if she wouldn't even take his goat without permission, how could she fool him into giving the blessing to, to, to the younger son rather than the older son? So that is um, a, a great question that we're still going to leave for another time. But uh, the lesson for today is clear and is very relevant. Don't take your partner's goats or buy a house without discussing it first. My friends, I wish you a great day and I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.